The Bible talks about God using clay and making something out of it and saying the potter can do whatever he wants with the thing he makes. He can destroy it. He can change it. It's his. Um, we have this word in English, dominion. It simply means ownership, my domain, that which belongs to me. And when we talk about the lordship of God, first we have to define the fact that as Lord, He both has ultimate supreme authority over us and, this is important, we belong to Him. We are His. We, we have this idea we're just this free agent doing what we want. Actually, we only do what He allows us to do. We don't belong to ourselves. There's an inherent right to ownership. Now, I'm sorry. You're, you're, I know you, so you won't, you won't hate me. Can I, can I have your glasses? Now, I'm going to break them. Just smash them. Right? I mean, I can do what I want with them. Right? But they're hers. She owns them. She has say in it over what I do with these. And if I break them, she's going to be upset. And she's going to go to Dr. Antonelli and demand that I pay for them. They're hers. Let, let's get more personal. I like your phone. This is a nice phone. I think I'll keep it. But it's hers. When we own something, we decide whether we're going to give it to someone. We decide who gets to use it. Um, my wife doesn't believe it and doesn't know it, but the remote to our TV is mine. <laughs> I don't know why there's such a problem understanding ownership. If you're truly going to understand that He's Lord, you must understand you belong to Him as His own possession. Not only is that a good thing, but even more than just as Creator, because Christ died for us and purchased us with His, with his own life, with His blood, we belong to Him in a special way. He paid the ultimate price to have us. So this is an important aspect. But it goes beyond this. Besides the fact that he has authority, besides the fact that he owns all things, he's the possessor of all things, the creator, the maker, the sustainer, it's his, I want you to think about a few things that make him Lord. And I want you to think carefully about what I'm about to say. And at first you're going to go, well, yeah, but I really want you to get a hold of this. God is all-knowing. We call that omniscient. How many have had theology one so far? Good. Is, is he here by chance? Dr. Kautu? Sinner. <laughs> He's probably watching Netflix. Oh. But God is perfectly wise. He has perfect wisdom. Complete wisdom. Absolute understanding, knowledge, and wisdom of all things. There is nothing he does not know, nothing he does not see, and his wisdom, his understanding is perfect. Now, that means his will and his plans are perfect. No one, no one has even close to the right 
close to God's understanding, to God's wisdom, God's plans. You can't compare it. You cannot... His thoughts, His plans, His will are amazing, wonderful, and perfect. So what does that have to do with lordship? That means He knows what is best for everyone. That means that God is the only one smart enough to run the universe. He's the only one wise enough to run your life. Do you really want someone who doesn't have perfect wisdom and knowledge to tell you what to do? Don't you want the one with perfect knowledge, wisdom, and understanding to tell you what's best for you in your life? His very omniscience, his very perfect understanding makes him qualified to be our Lord. He's the only one smart enough to be our Lord. People miss this. Not only that, but God is all-powerful. Omnipotent. I, I heard this guy on the internet kept saying, omnipotent, omnipotent. That is not how you pronounce it. It's omnipotent. But he's all-powerful. Now, that means there's nothing impossible for him. Why is that important? Listen to me. An impotent, weak, and limited ruler would be unable to accomplish the plans that he has and unable to accomplish and fulfill the promises that he's made. But God, being perfect in power, there is nothing impossible for him. All things are possible. He can fulfill every promise that he's made to us and no other ruler, no other lord, no other king, no other... No one has the power to accomplish the good that we need done for us. No one has the power to keep the universe going. If you have someone who's in charge of your life who's limited in what they can do, you're in trouble. You're in big trouble. Honestly, God is the only one powerful enough to rule the universe. More than that, He's the only one powerful enough to ensure that the things that should be done in my life will be done. His omnipotence makes Him the perfect and ideal Lord. Because anybody else would fail, wouldn't succeed. By the way, that includes us. These are just a few simple things. There's two more. God is, and this is from Theology One, there you go. God is perfect in all of His ways. Meaning, He is perfectly upright, perfectly just, totally fair, totally faithful, 100% trustworthy, which means He always does what is best, fair, right, and good for everyone. Always. Because of who He is, He is the only one righteous enough to rule the universe justly and fairly. Think about being under someone who is imperfect in righteousness. Not always fair. Not always perfectly just. And they're the one that's going to decide what's going to happen to you for eternity. 
Think about the fact that because God is who He is and so perfect and He only does what is good and right and just and fair and He is always perfectly doing what is absolutely the best for us, because He is that way, He's the only one that is actually qualified to rule as Lord of all other lords. People miss the fact that His Lordship is attached directly to the fact that He's worthy to be Lord and anybody else would treat us eventually unfairly, unjustly. Now, there's one last one, and it sounds simple at first, but it's actually deeper than you think. And you know this, but I'm going to say it anyway. God is perfectly Loving, kind, compassionate, and merciful. Now, that means everything He does is out of His love for us. Everything. He never does anything at all that is unloving or unkind Here's the thing, only God, only God loves without any selfish or self-serving motives. He's the only one perfect in love. He's the only one that loves perfectly. He's the only one whose love is totally selfless. Everyone else in the universe, every other created being will love you imperfectly Sometimes selfishly. Only God's love is perfect love, which means He's the only one able to rule the universe selflessly with perfect love. Now, I know my wife loves me, and I love her, but we're imperfect. And there are times that no matter how hard we try, we hurt each other because we are selfish. Our motives are not always perfectly loving, perfectly kind, perfectly compassionate. As much as we try, I, and we've been married 35 years, I have done things that have hurt her. She has done things that have hurt me. There are moments when I have been selfish. There are moments when she thought of herself first because we are not perfect in love. Do you really want someone who's master of the universe, the ruler of all rulers, the king of all kings, the guy in charge of everything who is less than perfectly loving, kind, and compassionate? Why do you think the scriptures say it over and over and over? Because if you don't understand the character of God, if you don't understand the qualities of God, His attributes, if you don't know how, that He is all-powerful, all-knowing, all-wise, all with perfect understanding, with perfect love, just and fair and righteous in everything He does, if you don't know that, why would you want Him as Lord? And knowing that, would you want anyone else? Now this is going to come into play later. I'm going to come back to this. But I'm going to make a couple statements. Number one, God is the only one qualified to be the Lord. Nobody else. He is the only one worthy to be the Lord over everyone. And He is worthy to be the Lord. And He is qualified to be the Lord over everyone. 
Now, he is the divine creator of all things, the possessor of heaven and earth and everything in it. And he is superior in all ways to everyone. When you think of him as Lord, don't forget, you're talking about the one who is superior, perfect, ideal, worthy to be in charge because he will never take advantage of that selfishly. He will never do anything less than what is best for his creation, for all of us. He will never act selfishly. He will never be unable to accomplish what he promises. He has all power. He can do everything. This, this beginning aspect means that as I think about him, I wouldn't want anybody else to be God. You know, I, 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 I do like superheroes, the, the, the whole comic book thing, you know, whether you're DC or Marvel doesn't matter. Um, you can be wrong, but... And I didn't say which one. But do you notice that in all nations, in all religions, with all gods, and with all superheroes, they all have faults. Christianity is the one religion that presents a perfect God. And as I think about it, I mean, I used to love reading the Greek mythology when I was in school. I thought it was amazing, the stories. You ever read about Zeus? I'm so glad that I don't have to worry if my God is doing it for my good. I don't have to worry that when I submit to the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings, that there might be, oh, wait a minute, is this really the best thing, the, the, the best idea? Does he know what he's doing? He absolutely knows what he's doing. And at this beginning, I have to say because God Authority over the universe is his right, but more than that, he's the only one worthy and able to rule rightly. And that's, that's where we begin. Now, the scriptures make it clear that he is the Lord, the Lord of lords. It says it of God in the Old Testament, several places, King of kings, Lord of lords. It says it of Jesus in Revelation. He is the King of kings, the Lord of lords. That means the Lord over all lords, the ruler over all rulers, the head of all heads, the King of all kings. There is no one he is not in charge of. He is the final authority and has the final say in all things, in everything, no matter what, over every ruler that exists, period. I like that. Now, uh, Dr. Antonelli read what I wanted to read, Philippians 2, 9 through 11. Jesus came down to earth and it says, He humbled himself even to the point of death on the cross. He did that as, as the God-man. And it says, Therefore, God has highly exalted him and given him the name above every name. That means his name represents him. He is above everyone. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. Not yet, but they will. Of those in heaven and those on the earth and those under the earth. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. So just to summarize what it means to be Lord, Jesus said it in Matthew 28, 18. All authority has been given to me on earth, 
and in heaven. All authority. All authority. Now, we use the word lordship. How many of you have a lordship? Exactly. What? What? It's, it's not an American word, is it? Now, maybe if you're British, okay. Anybody here from England? Praise God. I mean, good. Okay. Here's the thing. We don't use the word. So let me just, let me just real quickly explain it to you. When you hear the word lordship, it, it represents the authority and dominion of Christ. That's all it is. It's a word that means supreme authority and absolute ownership. You could say authority and dominion. It, it means the same thing. Simply put, it's Christ's absolute total reign and rule over His creation and His subjects. So when I say lordship, I mean the authority and ownership of Christ over all things. It's a simple word. Again, we don't use it, so. So I'm going to ask a question, and please don't answer out loud. This is one of those keep-it-to-yourself kind of things. If Christ has all authority in heaven and earth, and is the Lord above all other lords, does He have all authority in your life? Is he the Lord of your life? Now, most people will answer, most Christians will answer, well, sometimes I want him to be, I try to let him be. It's the wrong understanding. It actually is. It's the mistaken understanding. Because he is the Lord of of heaven and earth with all authority, then how can he not have total authority over your life and in your life? If he is the Lord of all lords, if he's the Lord of heaven and earth, how can he not be your Lord? I want you to think about this. He is the sovereign ruler of everything, well, except Aaron. You know, sometimes he's Aaron's Lord. Sometimes he's the Lord in Aaron's life. Uh, no, no. Aaron's response to his lordship doesn't change his lordship. You, you can't say, well, sometimes he's my lord. No, no, he's your lord all the time. You may or may not obey him, but he's still the lord. Now, Dr. A is the president of Elam. If I do something wrong as a teacher... And I disobey what he says. Does he stop being the president? <gasps> You're not the president anymore because I refuse to submit to your leadership. <laughs> He's like, okay, we'll talk. No. Does it, does it change who he is because I refuse to obey? He it does have all authority. This is going to be important in a minute. It really is. But I want you to think about one thing. I never have to wonder if Jesus is Lord because He is. He's even Lord over the ungodly unbelievers who reject His authority. It's true that they are disobeying Him, rejecting Him, 
But that doesn't mean that Christ isn't the Lord of heaven and earth and doesn't have authority over them. People, people get it wrong. They think that because people are denying and rejecting Christ's authority over them, well then Christ doesn't have any authority over them. Wait a minute. All authority has been given to me in heaven and earth, well, except over the ones who don't want it. There's a problem here. That's not what it says. Denying that Christ is your Lord doesn't mean that He isn't the Lord of everyone, including you. Rejecting His Lordship doesn't mean that He isn't Lord because, well, you don't want Him to be, so no, you're not going to be. No, you're not my Lord. And He's up there laughing. Your response to Christ doesn't change who He is. Saying that Christ isn't your Lord doesn't make it true. And people think, I'm free. I'm not going to listen to you. You can't tell me what to do. He may be giving you the freedom to disobey, but he can tell you what to do. You know how I know? Because he's letting you disobey. He's letting you. And that's something people forget. He's actually exercising his authority when he lets them rebel. They couldn't rebel if he didn't let them. And if he didn't want them to, they wouldn't. Now, all of this, again, is going to come into play in our lives. But I want you to understand that he is allowing people to disobey him, to reject him, temporarily. But allowing them to rebel doesn't mean that he lost his authority over them. As a matter of fact, it's the opposite. As a matter of fact, it's the opposite. The Lord of Lords doesn't lose his position as Lord because people refuse to obey. Because he's letting them disobey. Now, before I go on to us personally, why is this so important to me? Because we have to remember that this world belongs to him. Now, is the devil uh, the, the, the ruler of this world? Well, he is the ruler of the kingdom of darkness that is still submitted to Christ. The devil cannot do anything he wants to do. He can only do as much as God allows him to do. The kingdom of darkness cannot do everything it wants to do or we wouldn't exist. They'd have destroyed us. The gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. Why? Because he is Lord. Sometimes we give the devil and the kingdom of darkness too much credit. Sometimes we give the people of this world too much credit. Well, they don't obey God. They're free. They are temporarily being given the right to rebel and disobey. But the problem is that it's temporary. And I can reject his authority all I want, but he still has it. I can reject his lordship all I want, but he's still lord. But it is temporary because when the second coming happens, here's the problem. He's allowing them to say no until that day, and then, guess what? The time of rebellion is over. The time of saying no is over. The devil, all his fallen angels, the demons, the false prophet, if, however you understand the book of Revelation that no one gets, all of them are destroyed because God says, it's up. I want you to stop thinking of this world as out of his control. I want you to stop thinking of your life as out of his control. I want you to stop thinking of the life of your unsaved relatives as out of his control. We we walk around 
acting like we don't serve the Lord of all lords, the King of all kings, the one who has everything in his possession and is allowing only what he wants to allow. It talks in the scriptures of him controlling the hearts of kings, of him raising up nations and pulling nations down, of him doing all of it for his purposes and his plans. And we think, oh my God, it's falling apart. I mean, Biden's president, Trump was president before that. Surely God has abandoned America. You know what? I don't care if I don't care who's president. God hasn't lost control. He's still Lord. We get panicked. Oh my, I, I mean, there were people when, 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 it doesn't matter who, but when things happen. Oh my God. Oh, it's, it's horrible. It's going to, okay, the situation may be bad. Thank God you're in control. That should be our response. Our response should not be, oh no, all is lost. Yeah, if God's not running things, but thank God He is running things. Let's stop losing that fact and start having a little faith. He's in control. If He lets it happen, He's got a purpose. Can you imagine what they thought when Nero took over? Think about it. He's using Christians as human torches to light up His garden. While he plays the violin. This is a real thing. And Christians must have been thinking, God, where are you? And he's up there. I got this. It's all in my hand. Please, please get a hold of the fact that God reigns heaven and rules heaven and earth. At the end of the age, it says, Matthew 13, 49 and 50. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come forth, separate the wicked from among the just, and cast them into the furnace of fire. There will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. In other words, God, I gave you time to submit. I gave you time to obey. I gave you time to put your faith in Christ. I gave you time to submit to his lordship. Time's up. And to us, that's like, wow, that's harsh. But it's true. Those who shake their fist in God's face and say no will reap the consequences of their rebellion in the day of judgment. Unfortunately, that's a fact. In that day, they're actually going to bow the knee. That passage that we read means that the day is coming when everybody who refuses him now is actually going to bow the knee and confess that he is the Lord. Do you understand that? They're going to say, you have all authority even over me. You're the Lord. Right now they're denying him. Even the devil's going to bow the knee. So this is just an important point. Now how does all of that affect us as Christians? What does that do for us? How are we supposed to respond to all of this? Well first and foremost. Don't think that you have the right or the ability to stop him from being Lord in your life. You don't. And that's actually good news. I know Christians that are panicked. I disobey God so much, I don't let him be Lord in my life. You don't let him? Nobody lets him do anything. He does as he pleases. You don't allow God to run your life. He runs your life and allows you to disobey. He's in charge. You're not. Don't think you're in charge of your life. You're not. You are given the right by God 
limited to disobey. And I get this as a parent. I really do. Because when I had little kids, and even now my granddaughter, there's certain things I'll let her do, and sometimes I know she might get hurt. She's running across the lawn, and I know that she's probably going to trip and fall because her legs aren't good yet, and she's going to cry, and yeah, it's going to hurt. But I wouldn't let her play with a kitchen knife. Here, here's a chainsaw. Have fun. I give her limited freedom because I'm going to let her do certain things, but I'm not going to let her do things that will destroy her. Please don't think that God is up there going, man, I just wish I could get a hold of your life and I wish you would let me. You're going to destroy yourself. You're going to, oh, oh, I, 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 I just so desperately need to be Lord in his life and he won't let me. The maker of all things that it says the universe is in the span of his hand. He measures and counts all the stars. He is the ruler of all rulers. All authority is his. Do you really think you can tell him no if he doesn't want you to? Now, I want to balance this in a minute with your response, but I need you first to understand there's safety in knowing that he is my Lord. I'm, I'm secure that he never lets me out of his hand. He won't let me play with a chainsaw. I may skin my knee. I may be stupid and get myself in trouble and hurt myself, but he won't let me destroy myself. He's more in control of my life than you think, and he's more in more control of your life than you think. Be at peace God is in control of your life. Now, there's a way and an area in which he allows you to be stubborn, rebellious, stupid. Sometimes we're just dumb. I mean, think about it. God says, don't eat the apple. It's not an apple. Don't eat the piece of fruit. It's going to kill you. I want it anyway. He let them. Okay, he... he he, he's got a place here. There are things he's going to let you do and you're going, to, you're going to suffer for it. There are consequences that you're going to have to pay for disobeying. But there are other things he won't let you do. And I guarantee you when you get to heaven, you're going to hear about all the times God stopped you from running into the tree. And you're going to be like, oh, that was you? And you think you're keeping you on track. He's keeping you on track. He knows what he's doing. Have a little bit of confidence in your Lord. So yes, we have an issue on our side of how we submit and whether or not we submit. But, but before we get there, don't get this mistaken idea that it's all up to you and if you blow it, you really are in trouble. Because ultimately, there is a loving, caring, compassionate God who is in charge of your life, who's holding you in the palm of His hand. And Jesus said, no one's going to snatch you out. So yeah, you may be really stubborn and you may be stupid and you may be actually quite carnal and you may not be real mature and you may be messed up and you may have all kinds of problems and God's up there going... I got this. I'm running the whole world and it's pretty messed up. So be at peace. Now on the other side of this, on the other side of this, let me ask you a question. He gives you this degree of freedom, even to sin, even to disobey him. Why? 
Why does God let you disobey Him? Why doesn't He control you? Why doesn't He just look down and go, Jeremy, I said no, and if you touch it again, I'm going to slap your hand. Why not? Because He loves us. That is always the right answer. So no matter what else, that is the right answer. That is true. But I want you to think, why does He give us this stupid freedom? I mean, I really wish sometimes He would actually stop me. You know, I'm actually going in a direction I shouldn't and like... Okay, I got it. He doesn't do that. And I'm like, Lord, how come you don't control me? I want you to control me, but you don't. Why are you giving me the freedom to disobey? I don't want to disobey. And yet, I get tempted, I get discouraged, I get fearful, and I do things I shouldn't. Why? Why does he let me rebel? Why does he even give me this freedom to begin with? And the reason is this. Because God wants the obedience that we have to flow from a willing heart. Because the only obedience that is genuine, the only obedience that is authentic, is one that is given out of free will. One that is freely given to God because I want to. It's a willing heart that says, I want to obey you. No other form of obedience is actually healthy. It's not. Now, you're students, right? Any, how many of you are students? Raise your hand. Okay. So, would you like it if I followed you around with a cattle prod and every time you went to break a rule, zzz, I mean, it would be fun, but <laughs> would you like it if I controlled everything you said and everything you did with fear of painful punishment the minute you break a rule? It's time to be in your room. You're one minute late. Zzz. Think about it. Think about it. Now, when I was a student here, we had an RA that was like that. He was so legalistic that he was five minutes late to getting back to his room and he wrote himself demerits. I'm not kidding. And we used to actually get a little piece of paper that said demerits and you get five at a time and if you get 15, you're campused. Couldn't leave your room. He wrote himself demerits. He was a Nazi. The man was unbelievable. Oh, you, it, you're supposed to shave every day back then. Now, I don't know about now. You have a beard. You have to shave every day here? We used to have to. You had to shave every single day. And one day, I didn't. And I mean, I didn't even get, when I was in Watson, I didn't even get to the uh, college hall, and he already was standing there with demerits. I was like, dude, how did you know? <laughs> this thing that God is after in us is not a robotic, fearful control. It's not that he's up there going, I want you to obey me no matter what, and if you don't, you're going to pay for it. And maybe that will keep you in line. That's not obedience. Now, a baby, a little tiny baby, as they're just coming up, you really can't explain anything to them, can you? You can't say, don't touch the cat's tail because he's going to scratch you and bite you. They don't get it. So you have to control them. You keep them physically from touching the tail because they don't get it. You're not babies. 
Are you? You're adults. You have brains, I hope. At least most of you in my class seem to. Come on. So do you really want God to force you? I was talking with someone recently in my church, and they said to me, yes, I want God to make me. I'm like, then you will never grow up. You will never mature. You will never have a willing heart. You will always have a heart that is forced. Your heart, you won't serve Him from a place of freedom. You will serve Him from a place of fear. And God doesn't want that because it's not healthy. As a matter of fact, that's detrimental. That's destructive. That's what the devil does. We don't want fear to be our motivation. We don't want force to be the thing that keeps us in line. We want to serve God with a willing... We want to submit to His authority from a willing heart. So how do we do that? Well, there's, I'm just going to give two ways. There's many. But I'm going to give you two pieces of advice. One, you're probably already going to guess. The purest form of submission and obedience in God's eyes flows out of a heart of love for Him. It's the highest level of obedience. Let me explain. Our submission and obedience to Christ's authority should reflect the love we feel for Him. Jesus said it, didn't He? If you love me, keep my commandments. And again, further on in the same chapter, John 14, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And then he says the next verse, whoever does not love me does not keep my words. The point is, is that the way to obey God is to love Him more than you love the things of the world. More than you love sinful pleasures. More than you love yourself. The highest level of obedience and submission comes out of, I love Him, so I want to please Him. It's that simple. It really is that simple. If you love Him more and more and more, I guarantee you will obey Him more and more and more. Because if you love Him, you will obey. If you don't love Him, you won't obey. And honestly, I've met people struggling to submit to God's will, but they also don't really have a deep love for God. I had a man in my first church who came to me and said, I want to get married to this woman. He was like 30. I want to marry this woman, but she's divorced, and I'm not sure it's right, and can I, and will you perform this ceremony? What do we do? So I said, well, I need three, four weeks to talk to her, talk to her husband, talk to the elders, figure this out, take it to the Lord. I mean, was, was she divorced when she was unsaved? Is her husband already remarried? Uh, this is a big issue. This is a difficult thing. You've got to give me some time. I'll put it together. I'll get the elders together. We'll talk to her. We'll talk to her husband. We'll, we'll, and this was on a Wednesday. He's like, okay, thank you, thank you, thank you. Sunday comes along, and they announce their engagement. Now, I'm human like everybody else, so my first reaction was, jerk. You know, loving pastor that I am. And so I went up to him after the service and I said, his name, let's just call him George. He wasn't, but let's just call him George. George, 
Didn't we agree that you were going to give us time? Yeah. So why, why did you do that? Because I knew you were going to take it to God and I was afraid God was going to say no. You were afraid God was going to say no. And if he said no, would he say no for a good reason? I love her too much. I can't let her go. So I refused to do the ceremony. They got married in another church. A year later, they were separated. Two years later, they were divorced. The foundation of their marriage was an act of disobedience. And you know what the real cause was? He didn't trust God. And that's the second thing that will help us obey God, is trusting Him. Now let's go back to where we started. If He only does what is best for me, if He only wants what is best out of such deep, perfect love for me, if he is wiser than everyone else, including me, if he knows what's best and wants what's best and is always just and fair, how can I not trust him? Think about it. The reason I want to submit is because I love him and because I trust him to want for me what is best. And if I think about it, it's like, oh, hear this George is like, because God might say no. Well, there might be a reason he's saying no. And that reason is a good one if he's saying no. How many of you have been told no by your parents that you didn't understand why until later? Yeah. Especially as you're growing up, right? I used to not understand why you couldn't eat dessert first. To this day, if I have a choice, I'll eat my dessert first. Because I'm very hungry, and it tastes better when you're very hungry. Hunger makes the taste better. So you eat the dessert first, and then get rid of the stupid vegetables. So, come on. And my mom would say, no, I want you. I didn't get that if I eat the dessert first, I'll be too full for the vegetables that I actually need. Thank you, honey. Um, my wife makes me eat vegetables, because she loves me. God is up there going, if you touch it, it will hurt you. It's hot. I know what I'm talking about. Don't, don't, don't touch. And we're dumb enough to go, are you sure? <laughs> Adam and Eve, don't eat the fruit because you're going to die. Really? Are you sure? If you can get a hold of God's love for you, His wisdom, His perfect knowledge, His absolute, just, fair, right way of treating you, if you can believe He wants best, what's best for you, you won't argue with Him. Now, my children are adults. They're both married. And it's amazing now that to watch them recognize just how smart mom and I actually are. It is amazing. Like, there'll be times that they'll say, ah, you guys, that was, that, was a, that was right. It's like, yeah, we, we know. Because if you don't trust him, you won't obey him. 
And if it's not out of love because you want to, it won't work. I don't not commit adultery because I don't enjoy sex. Let's be real. Right? I do it because it would be wrong before God. And more than that, it would hurt the woman I love. My love for her doesn't allow me to do that. I can't because I can, all I can think of is how hurt she would be. My love motivates my obedience. My love for God and my love for her. Are, are you getting the point? Now I'll say one last thing. I, can't, I don't have time to preach on this. There are moments when your love for God will not be enough. Because the thing that's physically right in front of you will seem too tempting. Okay? It is going to happen. There are moments when you won't care that it's bad for you. You know it is. You know long term it's bad for you. Spiritually in every way. And you're going to want to do it anyway. I'm just being honest. Let's be real. There are moments when the devil will bring something in front of us, when the world will bring something in front of us, when our own stupid desires will, we will just be like, I really, I, I mean, I'm looking at that piece of cake, I got to eat it. I, I know, I, I love you, Lord, but that, there is one thing that will keep you from doing, from disobeying God, when your love for God fails and you don't care that it's not the wisest thing. It's called the fear of the Lord. I don't have time to preach on what it means. I want you to go the next couple of weeks, and I know you're busy. Just look up in the Bible how many times the fear of God and the fear of the Lord is commanded in Old and New Testaments. Many, many times. And many times it says, that it might be good for you. That it might be well with you. That you may live and prosper. It's the fear of God. And the best way I can describe this simply and shortly is this. If you know that the oven is hot. And you've already experienced the pain. Do you touch it again? You've learned to fear that thing. But do you fear it if you're not going to touch it? No. The fear only comes in when you're actually going to disobey. I don't want you to walk around dreading God with terror. Oh no, if I, if I mess up, He's going to smite me. God hasn't smote anybody in a long time. Okay? That's not a thing. He's not up there with his finger on the delete button. <laughs> Piano drops, scene ends. No. And God is not up there waiting for you to mess up just so he can punish you. Okay? I don't want you to walk around being afraid. But I do want you to remember that the consequences of disobedience are painful destructive and often long-term. It's not cheap to disobey God. It will cost you something. I want you to fear that. I want you to fear when God says, okay, you want to run away and run into that 
bush over there that's full of bees because there's a bee's net, and I'm telling you not to. Go ahead. I'm actually afraid of running out of God's protection. Running away from the protective hand of God. I'm afraid of not listening to God. And my fear of God is not, oh no, He's going to strike me. He's going to punish me. It's no. He's going to let me hurt myself. I, I, I just want you to get a hold of this. Now, people focus on the fear of the Lord is awe and wonder. Yes, there's an aspect of awe and wonder. But to me, fear of the Lord is what John the Apostle did in Revelation when he saw Jesus. He fell on his face like a dead man. Fear of the Lord is Moses talking with God. And God, I want to go in the promised land. I've done everything you said. No. God, I said no and don't ask again. He didn't keep asking. I'm just throwing it out there. It's, it's a healthy thing. It's a good thing. It's not a bad thing. It's not a horrible thing. It's not a dreadful thing. It's not that I walk around fearful and afraid. It's not that I walk around... No, but I know what will happen to me if I disobey God. And sometimes that's the only thing that pulls me back from the edge. Because just like you, I'm human. Just like you, I have temptation. Just like you, there's moments when I shouldn't do something, but everything in me says, so, I want it. And in that moment, I hear the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That's what turns a man away from death. So anyway, just I'll leave that one for now. So I want to ask you one last question, to, and this is how we're going to close this. How many times do you disobey your Lord? How many times do you not trust that He knows best? How many times do you forget to love him so much that you just can't hurt him? You can't do it. The answer to not doing that is drawing close to God. There's no miracle pill. There's no magic. There's no quick fix. The more you seek him, the closer you are to Him, the more you know His Word, which is His wisdom and His will, the more you draw close to God, the easier it will be to willingly choose to submit to Him. The less time you give Him, the further away from Him you are, the easier it will be to disobey. It's actually quite simple. How many of you are into weightlifting and running and healthy stuff. I'll pray for you. Um, what happens if you lift weights once a month? And how do you feel a month later when you try to lift again? Gross and painful. Your relationship with God is no different. When He's on the back burner... Guess what? You will often disobey Him and not submit. When you go once a month 
to your spiritual workout? And then we ask the question, why did I do that? Because your love for God is not fresh. Because you forgot how smart he really is. Because you didn't trust him. Because you're not drawing close to him. Because you're not giving him time and you're not seeking him. The mistake is not that we're human. The mistake is not that we all have time. The mistake is thinking we can do it without that. That we can love him enough without doing that. That we can trust him enough without doing that. If I only saw my wife once a month for the next five years, and I only saw her for 15 minutes, how deep would our relationship be? I mean, besides the fact that she'd kill me. But how deep would our relationship be? So, Aaron... Do you want to love God more? Seek Him every single day. Do you want to trust God more? Read His Word. Because in it you will see His wisdom. Do you want to love and trust God? Then draw close to Him every day. Don't make it an occasional thing. Don't make it something that you only do sometimes. Because I promise you the closer you are to God, the easier it will be to submit to His will. The closer, the more you know Him, the easier it is to trust Him. The further you are from Him, the harder it is to give in. Because we're stubborn. And we don't, we're not, just do it. Just do it. Is He the Lord of heaven and earth? Yep. Is He the Lord of your life? Yes. You have a choice. Submit or rebel. He's giving you that right. And then he's up there saying, I really, really, really want you to listen to me because I know what's best for you and I want what's best for you. I really, really want you to trust me because I love you too much to do anything bad to you. Just if you will listen to me, if you will obey me, it will be well with you and you will prosper. 